welcome to our new hall. I was given a choice of sitting backstage or and coming out. I wouldn't be as obviously having to be helped up and down the stairs, but I thought you're used to me being helped up and down the stairs, and I prefer to sit out here with all of you during most of the service. So I think that works out better. So if you stay, see me staggering around, I haven't had anything to drink except water and coffee, okay? <laughs> but uh, I stagger happily through life, of course, since the stroke. Anyway, I appreciate your prayers about that. And we have much to pray about, as I'll comment about later. We're very grateful, though, I'd give God, we should give God thanks for these new stations that Mr. Ames announced. And very, very grateful that they're coming through. As you know, the Discovery Channel is perhaps the most prestigious station we've been on, actually. And that's going to give a, a higher rating for us across the nation in a several different ways. So we're very grateful for that. I hope we can already pray about that as that comes on stream. Uh, also, I want to comment about our new church hall. Please be free to give us your comments about the hall. I've had a couple of comments from people. Uh, most of them like it, but I mean some people who had the idea that we were meeting in a church hall. And it is a church hall in one sense, and yet in another way it's not. It's not a sin, brethren, if we did have a church hall somewhere uh, that people use uh, on a Sunday. But it's not ideal, and we're trying to get more churches where we do not do that. But this church, I talked to Mr. Crockett in detail and actually had him write it up for me because he was dealing with the people on it. This facility is not built in the form of a cross, as you'll notice if you get outside. You know, many churches are built that way. There's never been a steeple on it, and it was built originally, definitely, as a training facility for the Charlotte Bobcat basketball team, as you see, it has high ceilings. It was built for that purpose. They were not able to use it for very long, and so they sold it, I guess, to another company who used it for business purposes. Then they sold it for a second company. So it's two different commercial, I think non-religious companies had this for a while, and then the church that had it before we're meeting here was using it for their church hall. And that is true. It has been used as a church hall for a few years, although it was not built as a church hall. And now they're gone. They have a different facility, and they do not use this for their worship service. They have a, a, a youth program and uh, some young people's classes and things like that here and some offices during the week until they get fully into their new building. But they're not using this for their formal worship service. We are. So it's been built for some other reason, and God is letting us use it, so I hope no one worries about that. If anyone says something, why, tell them to come talk to me, and I'll talk to them, or tell them to talk to Mr. Crockett, and we will give them the explanation. And if they want to talk too much, I don't have my cane with me, but I'll get my cane. <laughs> anyway, we shouldn't have any problem with that, because it really is not a regular church or was built as a church at all. Well, brethren, I want this afternoon to give us a, an extremely important key. We really have an awful lot of things coming up. We're going to get persecution as these new stations come online. We're going to be put through trials and tests, as I've said before, such as we have never had before. And right now, we have to be praying and ought to be praying for our brother, Mr. Aparty. And I saw him just yesterday afternoon, by the way, and there are times he feels really good and other times he feels really bad and very discouraged. So please do keep praying for him. 
Most of you realize that he is at least 94. He might be 97, frankly. We don't absolutely know because he was put on this boat by his, his father to get him away from the Turkish massacre of about 600,000 Armenians, which definitely took place, was the greatest massacre in modern history until the Holocaust under Adolf Hitler. So his dad knew the boat captain and put him on the boat to get him away. They said, we won't allow you and your wife to go, but you can put your little boy. The boat captain was willing to take him, and it was, you know, he never saw his parents again. So he doesn't actually know how old he is, but he's been given a long, wonderful life and certainly served people all over the world, and we're very grateful for that. So pray for him and certainly be praying for Mr. Wayne Pyle. Here, Wayne Pyle was kind of helping me in the building and made me comment. I, I thought I should be helping him, and he's helping me. He keeps right on uh, in spite of his cancer, and he's getting better almost every day. So God may be helping her healing him, but we don't know for sure, of course, until it's full. And as he says himself, we want to wait in that way. But keep praying. God may be already in the process of healing him. God is the healer. When you have cancer in your lungs and in your your, your uh, liver, it doesn't usually get bad, uh, better, and his is. So we are very grateful. God is the healer. And I preached on that two Sabbaths ago, or three Sabbaths ago, I guess it was. And then Mr. Dr. Winnell followed through with the sermon on faith. And the topic today picks up on that. I'm going to preach to you today on how to pray. We've had a number of sermons on that, but I haven't given one on that for several years. And I used to do that pretty regularly out of Pasadena at headquarters and in Los Angeles in the headquarters area. And I wrote the booklet, some of you know, seven, the 12 keys to answered prayer. And I hope all of you will get that booklet. I'm going to just give you seven keys to successful prayer today. I'm going to take more time on the key seven as I might look at them and not try to cover the 12. You can read the others in that booklet. And I'm phrasing some of these a little differently because we could come up with a sermon on 21 keys to prayer. You know that. Any number of important ways to come up with ideas about how we can pray better. But I hope you'll listen to this because, brethren, how to pray and the tool of prayer in our Christian life is as important as anything else there is. I guess the two most important keys to growing, to overcoming, are Bible study and prayer. And they're kind of like pepper and salt and, and uh, you know, cream and sugar, whatever. They just go together. And uh, you've got to have one to have the other. So here's the first one I want to give you, and I hope you'll understand the way I mean this. I'm starting off, some of you could think negatively. But the first key is very important, especially in our age. We have a very sarcastic and cynical age where people make fun of God and they make fun of the idea of a real God and make fun of true Christians. If you're really going to get answers to prayer to help you, I tell you, fear God, fear God and obey God. And that's a very, very important thing. As Solomon said at the end of his life, this is the whole thing. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole man. That's back in, I think, it's the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes. And you've got to learn to do that. Brethren, by the fear, I don't mean fear of a monster. God is not a monster. God is our Father. But many people in the Protestant world, the Catholic world, other 
modernist ideas, the new age movements, they have a hip pocket God. They just kind of talk to him like he was some kind of Bugs Bunny or something they could control or be sentimental with. You've got to know and understand in your mind when you get down to pray that you are talking to the governor of the universe. You are talking to God who says, I'm going to shake every mountain. I'm going to shake every island out of its place. That great God is the one we talk to when we pray. We want to understand, yes, spiritually, that he is our father. But if we just take him for granted and don't show the tremendous respect and awe and have that in our minds as we come before God, we will not be heard nearly as well as we have that deep, profound respect. And I hope you can understand that. As we begin this, I want to start out with the the first scripture I want to give you is Jesus Christ's own explanation of prayer back in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6 and beginning in verse 5, Jesus said, when you pray, he didn't say if you pray, he said when you pray. Assuming true Christians would pray because we must pray. I mean that if you don't pray, you're sunk. I wouldn't give you even 1% chance of getting into the kingdom of God unless you pray regularly, regularly. And you understand that. I hope you understand what I'm saying. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they left to pray standing in the synagogues, the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Their reward is these men seeing them pray in public and saying, oh, how wonderful and holy this man of God is. And a lot of men do that in churches today. Ministers read old prayers that were written by some English bishop 500 or 700 years ago, and they read it off in some monotone. Their heart's not in it. Many of these men have gone to these Protestant or Catholic seminaries, which sometimes we lovingly call cemeteries, and where the Bible is buried And the truth is buried, and they don't know God, and God is not real to them either. And some of their top teachers have told me that. They they acknowledge that their fellow top theological professors in some of the seminaries right in this city here and in this state and in this nation are agnostics or atheists. Many are atheists, but most are agnostics. They're not sure there is a God. So they have a wrong approach. They just want to show off and so on. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So go into a private place, brethren, if you possibly can. If you possibly can. And I think nearly all of you can find a private place. I know when I first came to Ambassador College, I didn't know how to pray. I was just taught to lie in bed or lie down or kneel down by my bed as I got older and say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep of this little childlike prayer. That's all I knew. Although I would add part of the Lord's prayer at the end of it as I got older. I don't think my folks taught me to that, but I began to hear Mr. Armstrong on the radio and began to do that much. But I still didn't really know how to pray. And I didn't understand I was to go in a very private place where I could pour out my heart to God. As I came to college, I found that Raymond and Mary McNair had a little hutch back under the roof where they would go and pray. I found that one of the students would go out on the balcony. I found that two or three had rooms downstairs in the basement storerooms. They were all taken. 
So I found the, the broom, broom closet at the bottom of the steps. And I would put some newspapers on the concrete floor so it wouldn't be too uncomfortable. But that was my place. Most of us were fellas. There was only one girl, and she lived with Annie Mann. So she was safe, and she was in a different place. But we knew where we were, where we didn't bother each other's prayer place. But I could talk to God in that place. I didn't mumble loud, I don't think, and I could pray all I wanted to, and no one was there at all. As I worked in the woods in the Oregon, I would go up on the side of a hill two or three, five hundred yards away and get down under a big tree and look up at the sky and no one was around and I would pray there. You can find a place to pray on the baptizing tours. Why Raymond and I or Burke and I or Herman Hay and I would be living in a motel together and sometimes one of us would pray in the room and the other would pray in the bathroom. But if it was all right and we had the right kind of situation and it was not raining or cold or where you had these sort of uh, uh, garage things, sort of a, a, a cover over the place where you'd park and it wasn't a complete garage, but I would go back and play, pray in the back seat of the car. It was night, and I would just go out there and kneel down. I remember one time a, 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 a motel salesman came around with a flashlight, and he was checking up, and I guess he saw me there, and he flashed the light on me. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. Oh, I'm sorry. He said, he took off, so I continued praying. But I prayed in a private place, and somehow he saw me in there and partly opened the door. Maybe he thought I was getting ready to rob the car, but when he saw I was on my knees and saw my sincerity, then he didn't bother me anymore, and I didn't bother him. <laughs> anyway, you can find a place to pray if you have to go and pray in the back seat of the car. You need to go on a private place where you can pour out your heart to God in private and talk to God and shed tears if you have to and just be in private. So that's what Jesus said. Go to a private place. But he said, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. You know that in the various churches, uh, they often... Uh, pray over and over and in the Catholic Church they repeat so many Hail Marys and so many this and so many that just repeat it over and over in the Tibetan religion they used to have prayer wheels up in the high mountains of Tibet and they had these uh, Buddhist monks and they inscribed on this wooden wheel the words of a prayer and every time they turned the wheel the prayer supposedly went up to God well, some smart guy figured out later on, well, why don't they put in a little electric motor there? And then they just have prayers going up fast all the time. You see how ridiculous that is. If there is a real God and he's trying to teach you and I to know him as our father and establish a relationship with him, he doesn't want us mumbling so many phrases and babbling even the Lord's Prayer, as they often do in Protestant churches. The minister would give a general prayer, and then he said, as thou hast taught us, and then the congregation babbles the Lord's Prayer every, every time, and often they don't even know what they mean. In fact, they very seldom know what they mean. They say, Our king, your kingdom come. They don't know what the kingdom is, and they don't know when it's going to come, or how it's going to come, or if it's going to come in a real sense anyway. They don't know that. But don't do that, Jesus said. So don't just use a lot of words because that isn't what God wants. Therefore, do not be like them. Don't do that. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. In this manner, pray. Our father. So at the beginning, brethren, as you talk to God, 
you just don't say exclusive. There are other churches of God people around the world. And there are people, of course, that are very sincere. And God does hear the prayers of sincere people. Even in the Protestant or Catholic world, if someone cries out to him, he may not hear their prayers all the time. But if they're urgently crying out to the Creator, he does on occasion to hear them. As we read back in the psalm, if the sailors go down to the sea and cry out to God in a big storm, he quiets the sea sometimes and brings them safely back. God is the father of every human being in the sense of being the creator of all of us. And we can have a feeling that every one of these people in every church all over the world are children of God. In that broad sense, we're all human beings made in God's image. Our, not my God, and I'm better than everybody else. Don't come to God that way because none of us are better than everybody else. Our father in heaven, he's not our father on earth. And you need to have that deep sense you're talking to him who's sitting in glory. He's surrounded by Christ at his right hand, the four living creatures around him, the 24 elders around them, great powerful super archangel, and over 100 million angels. I'm not going to take time to read all the scriptures today. I wouldn't get look it up in the book of Revelation. Over 100 million angels. And glory and power and majesty, your Father in heaven is sitting there in that kind of magnificent glory. And when you come to him on your knees and get down on your knees, which God indicates is the best way to pray, he shows you can pray in any position, of course. If you're in danger sitting at the wheel of your car, you can cry out for God right then. But I'm talking about your normal prayer posture, your main prayer, perhaps in the morning when you take time to talk to God before the day gets underway like Jesus did and like Peter did, Paul did, and nearly all the great servants of God did do. Get down on both knees, unless you have broken knees or you're crippled and can't do that. Get down on both knees before your Creator. Lift up your head if you can get to a place, which I like to do, a window where you can see out and see the heavens and sort of look up to God in that way. That's the most ideal thing of all. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be holy, majestic, magnificent, wonderful be your name. You are the great God, the governor of the universe. You made the heavens and the earth and everything that is. You made us human beings in your image to become your full sons. You've given us life and breath and everything we have. Everything that's good and right and wonderful and beautiful comes from you. And you can tell God that and mean it and talk to God and honor him. And praise his name at the beginning of your prayer and establish a right relationship because that's good for you. You're praying not just to God. He wants you to establish that kind of relationship. And as you begin to express those things and feel those things, that is building that right attitude in you, which is what he wants. Hallowed be your name. So you start right out with the fear of God. You're hallowing the name of the great governor of the universe, the creator of all that is. Your kingdom come, a real government. It's not a warm feeling in your heart like John Wesley said. Your kingdom come. It's a real government that's going to come when Christ comes back as king of kings and lord of lords. Your will be done on earth. It's not done altogether that way yet, but we're praying that it will be. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. As we go on in our prayer, we ask for our daily needs. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to hallow God 
and ask for his kingdom to come. And perhaps as you're doing that, ask God to help us prepare the way. Ask us to build the church of God, to build the work of God, to reach the people around the world with the message of the coming kingdom of God, the laws of God, the way of God, and to warn our own Israelitish people of the coming great tribulation, since that tribulation will fall primarily on Israel, all those things. And build God's people and feed the flock and prepare a people for God. All those things would come in this middle section. Then you ask for your daily bread, needs you have. That's not the most important thing, but it's certainly all right to do that. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that will be expounded on in another point I have, but ask God to forgive you. Forgive us of our mistakes, our sins, our rottenness, the vile things that we think and do sometimes. And don't think you don't because every human being does do those things and we need to ask God to forgive us, to clean us up and scrub us out. Say, Father, we want to be in your family. Help us to get rid of all this selfishness and the vanity and the competition and the lust and the stuff that swarms into our mind. Clean it out. Cry out to him with your heart. Mean it when you pray to God. So forgive us as we forgive others. And do not lead us into temptation. Say, Father, protect us and protect us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one, Satan the devil. He's after us. He's after me. He's after you. I sense sometimes he's circling the camp of Israel and he will try to put thoughts in my mind and pound them in there. And I've learned to resist them. But I don't do that perfectly, but I try not to get it, let it get started very far. And you've all got to learn to do the same thing. He will put their thoughts of discouragement, thoughts of vanity, thoughts of hate, thoughts of lust, all kinds of things. And you have to fight it. Fight it. Fight the Christian fight. And God tells you, we are in a battle. If you want to be in eternal life, you don't float in there. You go in there by swimming upstream against the current. The current is this world going the wrong way. Your human nature going the wrong way and Satan, the devil guiding you and every well else going the wrong way unless you turn it around. And you've got to turn it around by real effort, spiritual energy, energize your prayer. Please do not tempt us in wrong way or and deliver us from the evil one, from Satan, the devil for yours. You start out praising God's name, hallowing his name, the fear of God, the awe of God talking about the greatness and the power of God, and you end your prayer the same way. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever. Amen. That is the Lord's Prayer, and I could spend a whole sermon on that, but I hope you can get that that approach. He said, pray in this manner. He didn't say just repeat these words over and over, but pray following this pattern. Pray in this manner. So I want to use that, though, in connection with this first point that I gave, and that is, of course, to have the fear of God uh, as you pray. And that's very, very important. Now turn, if you would, back to Hebrews near the end of your New Testament, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. <clears throat> Here the Apostle Paul is writing to some of the older members, the original church there in Israel, and I'm here at the headquarters church, and many of you are, have been in the church for decades. And you should take this. He says, Moses is talking about when God spoke from the top of Mount Sinai, 
Actually, it was Jesus Christ doing the speaking for God the Father. And he says in Hebrews 12, 21, And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. You have come to the Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, not some physical mountain back then, to an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, judge of all. When you get down on your knees, you are coming to that God who sent absolute fear and terror in the heart of those people when he shook that mountain and appeared. He is the judge of all. To the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the better to blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, they began to take him for granted and they, they got cynical and they got weak and carnal and sassy. How much more uh, shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth? But now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth but heaven. That great God is about to intervene and shake things up. And we want to realize that is the God we're talking to on our knees. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which remain cannot be shaken. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence. We've got to serve God respectably with reverence and godly fear. He tells us we've got to have fear. We've got to have godly fear. A sense of awe as we come to the creator of the governor of the heavens and the earth who is judging us. For our God is a consuming fire. It's not wrong to think about the lake of fire once in a while, brethren. We don't preach fire and brimstone, as you know. We hardly ever mention hell in our sermons. But I'm just saying we don't want to go to the opposite extreme and just, well, you know, we're okay. And we just sort of give half-hearted prayers to the God wherever he is and whoever. We have a hip-pocket God who jumps around and does little things for us, whether or not we cry out to him or not. No, he is not like that. He wants to teach us lessons. That great God wants us to get our attention. He wants us to be driven to our knees in absolute humility and realize how weak we are and how much we need him and want the kingdom of God so bad we can taste it. And we cry out to God. And so we show that deep awe and that respect as we pray to God. That's what God wants. So we've got to have that attitude as we pray. And that attitude of fearing and obeying God is absolutely vital. Turn back to Isaiah 59 now, if you would, and your Old Testament, as we say, Isaiah chapter 59. He says in verse 1, Behold, the eternal's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot, cannot hear. God is not deaf and dumb or old or unable to function. But your iniquities, your sins, your selfishness and vanity and lust and greed have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face so that he will not hear. So we have to understand that. And again, we've got to 
fear God, as I said for this first point, and we've got to obey God. Because if we don't obey God, our sins will separate us from God, so he will not hear. Does that mean you've got to be perfect before God hears your prayer? Of course not. But you've got to have the attitude of wanting to go the whole way. You've got to have the attitude of total surrender, total submission to the great God and show that as you come before him. That's what God wants. Turn back to 1 John 3 now in your New Testament, just before the book of Revelation. This is just before the book of Revelation. 1 John, the first epistle of John, chapter 3 and beginning in verse uh, uh, 22. God says here, whatever we ask, that means when we pray, of course, that's how we talk to God. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Why do we get answers to our prayers? Because we keep his commandments, plural, all of them, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We learn also to do the other things that are pleasing in God's sight. We try to eat the right foods. We try to find the right kind of mate to be the father or mother of our family. We try to show concern for others in a general way, even besides just literally killing or hating. We try to do everything we can to honor God. We try to honor God in our bodies and the way we exercise and sleep and, and just all kinds of ways we can honor God to do those things that are pleasing in God's sight. The more we do those things that are pleasing in God's sight, the more likely we are to have our prayers answered. So we want to understand that and try to really, as I said a couple of weeks ago on my sermon, and this is hard, but we've got to learn to think as God thinks, to feel as God feels, and to want what God wants. And I, I explained that, you know, before. But as I've said, that comes right to, the, to your life or death. As I've said, as some of us ministers or some of you are getting older, then if I should tell God, if it's better that I go to sleep, then let me go to sleep. I'll be better off. I'll be right in the kingdom of God. I won't have to come uh, up here on my cane and all this stuff. I'll just rest and then Christ will be here. Whatever is best in God's sight, we've got to have that attitude, brethren, and really mean it. Not just talk about it, but really mean it. So we've got to do those things and of course try to think those things too that are pleasing in God's sight and try to be that kind of human being if we're that way that total submission to God you're my father you're my God my rock my redeemer my savior you are my you know my best friend you're my father and we have that and cry out to God with that attitude father I know you are love I know you'll take care of me then he will hear your prayer and that doesn't always mean he'll keep you till you're 100 or 500 years old in this flesh. He won't give all of us a Cadillac and he won't give all of us, you know, a million dollars or those things. But he will give us our daily bread. He'll provide our needs. He will give us a good life. And he will take us in his everlasting kingdom. And that's the main thing. He may give us trials and tests. He talks about the blessings he'll give. And he says, along with tribulations quite often. Because you will have tribulations and trials and tests. And the Bible tells us that to make us cry out to God and draw us closer to him. So remember, whatever we ask, we get the answer. We receive from him because we keep his commandments, all of them, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So that's the attitude we need to have as we come to God in prayer. That's the first big key. The first big key. The second key 
is worship and adore God as you pray. That attitude is not as prevalent in our society today as it should be. Some people in Pentecostal-type churches hoop and holler, and they'll say, Amen, Amen, and so on. And yet many of them, including Pentecostal preachers, will go right out and, and commit adultery, as we read the Elmer Gantry-type books and so on. And they get people stirred up and then misuse that, that stirring up for the wrong reason. They don't fear God. I mean to genuinely worship and adore God, again, to tie it in with how great he is and how wonderful he is. And that's something God wants, and we don't often think of that as we pray, but we should. Remember, Jesus started out the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed be thy name. Matthew 6, verse 9, Hallowed be his name. His name means everything he is. You turn back to the man after God's own heart and the Psalms. And frankly, the book of Psalms is one of the best examples of prayer. It is probably the best examples of prayer in the entire Bible because most of the Psalms were prayers of David. And some of them were set to music, but we read them as Psalms in the book of Psalms. But brethren, they give us a wonderful insight into God's mind because David's prayers obviously please God And David was called a man after God's own heart. Here is Psalm 18. I could read dozens of them. You know that. But let me read you some of Psalm 18 just to give you the flavor. Verse 1. I will love you. You see, we love and adore God. He starts right out. I will love you, O eternal, my strength. O eternal, the eternal is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the eternal who is worthy to be praised. So will I be saved from my enemy. So he continues to just praise and worship God. Notice verse six. In my distress, I called upon the eternal. I cried out to my God and he heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. He pictures God. It's a picturesque type of thing, of course, as though God would hear and powerfully intervene. And verse 13, the eternal also thundered in the heavens and the most high uttered his voice and so forth. He shows how great God is. And then he says in verse 20, the ever living one rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He's recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the eternal and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me and I did not put away his statutes from before me. He says in verse 25, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. If you learn to be a merciful person and forgive others and help them, God will be merciful to you. With the blameless, you will show yourself blameless. Verse 27, you will save the humble people. So many people in the world are very proud of themselves. They're filled with self. Try to realize, don't give up and quit and say, I'm nothing. You are made in God's image and you have wonderful human potential. But don't have self-confidence. Have confidence in God, what God can do for you and through you, not just what you can do because you're so smart or you're so good looking or you're so big and strong or you girls are so pretty or whatever you think. For you will save the humble people, he says, and you will bring down the haughty looks. 
So anyway, he goes on and on about God and God's greatness and how God is. Verse 46, the eternal lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. This whole psalm shows how great God is. And so many of the psalms all the way through the entire book of psalms uh, show that and give that flavor of how great God is. I know that Mr. Herbert Armstrong told me, and I think he told some of us, I wish Mr. Apartian were here to confirm that. I'm sure he heard him say that. But he didn't talk about his personal prayer life very much over the 36 and a half years I knew him. I didn't hear a lot of him. None of it was bragging. But once in a while, he'd give us a clue or an idea. He said, fellas, sometimes I spend one-third, or said often, I mean, I spend one-third of my whole prayer time praising and, and thanking God at the beginning. It ties into these first two things. Hallowed be your name and have the fear and awe of God, you see. And David did that in his Psalms. And Mr. Armstrong would often thank God for blessing him, for blessing the work, for blessing the church, for blessing his people, for guiding world events and spending up to one-third of his entire prayer time uh, thanking God. And that is very helpful to realize because God did use him so much. And so all through the Psalms of David, you will see that same attitude in the Bible, which is the mind of God. Turn back now, if you would, and let's go to chapter uh, uh, point three, I mean. Not, not chapter three, but point three of my sermon here. Ask for mercy and forgiveness when you pray. Again, many of us, I think, bypass that. I think if more of you did that, it would help you. And I think we all ought to learn to do that. Turn now, if you would, brethren, to Psalm 38. Psalm 38 in your Bible, ask for mercy and forgiveness as a regular, continual part of your prayer. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. So Jesus put that as a basic foundational aspect of prayer. This is one of, again, dozens and dozens of places where David does that in, in his Psalms. Psalm 38, verse 1. O eternal, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh. David apparently had some kind of disease, some kind of infection, perhaps gangrene. He was constantly in battle, and he did get wounded, and some of those wounds may become infected. Because of your anger, nor is there any health in my bones because of my sin. So David is confessing his sin for my iniquities. My sins have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering. Was that gangrene? We don't know. Because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long for my loins are full of inflammation. I'm feeble, severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, all my desires before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. So you see, David was crying out to God for mercy. He was confessing his sins and showing how weak he was and how much he needed God's help. He says in verse 12, those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction. They plan deception all the day long. But I'm like a deaf man, do not hear. And like a mute man, I, I, I don't open my mouth. Thus, I'm like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth there is no response. For in you, O eternal, I hope. 
Your hope has to be in God that God will forgive you. God will take care of it. God will rectify it if you will ask forgiveness and turn to him with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul. You will hear, O eternal, my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips, they magnify themselves against me. So anyway, he's asking God for help and for mercy throughout this psalm and many, many others. And we have to understand that. Back in Psalm 41, if you would turn there, in Psalm 41, the same thing as you read through that psalm, and we won't read it all. Psalm 41, beginning in verse 4, I said, Eternal, be merciful to me. We have to have mercy from God. We have to confess our sins and tell him, as David did, I'm wrong. I'm just plain wrong. Have mercy on me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks vain words. People will try to get people to, to come after you when you're weak and old sometimes. His heart gathers iniquity to itself when he goes out and so on. He, he describes that in here. He asks God for mercy. Turn back to the book of Daniel, if you would. Daniel now. And to let's turn at this point uh, to uh, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Here again is this crying out for mercy. Here is one of the most righteous men also that ever lived. And we, after a number of years in, in Babylon, his whole nation was in captivity. He cried out to God for understanding how long, O Lord, and finally, in verse 3, he says, Then I set my face toward the eternal God to make re request by prayer and supplication. Supplication means repeated prayers and crying out and fasting. So Daniel was fasting over a number of weeks probably and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the eternal my God and made confession. You see, he's confessing sin, asking God forgiveness. O oh, eternal, great and awesome. Again, he's hallowing God's name. God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who fear him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned. And he goes on, we've not paid attention to your ministers and your servants. We've turned aside and gone the wrong way. So over and over, he asks for God's mercy. He says in verse 9, to the eternal our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. So he asked God for that mercy throughout this uh, uh, passage here. Now notice in verse 16. O eternal, according to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. Well, brethren, can we pray like that? Am I talking about something way off? No, not really. As our nation goes down... As we see more corruption, as we see more people out in the streets maybe rioting, as we people see people going hungry, as we see poor people being kicked out of these homeless shelters, as we see people being put out of hospitals and even mental hospitals, as our nation shuts down and more people that are demon-possessed are let loose on the streets, as we see more corruption in high places all through the entire society, in the ministry, in the politics, in the educational system, and every part of society, from the head to the tail, it is sick, sick, sick. 
and our heart cries out, what is becoming of our United States of America? We need to cry out like this. Oh, God, have mercy. We have turned aside our fathers, our patriarchs of the nation, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and Benjamin Franklin and others. They were not great men of God, frankly, but many of them did have a concept of God. They talked about God. You read their letters. They had a sense of, 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 of rectitude, of right behavior that we don't have today at all. And our leaders seem to have mainly forgotten. They don't even want to talk about God in a right way. And we need to ask God to forgive us and to have mercy on our nation. So he's doing that over and over here again. So he says, now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servants and his supplications. And for the eternal sake, cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. We can ask God to have mercy on Charlotte. We're beginning to have our own gay parade. We're beginning to have gay pride parades all through our nation and all this kind of stuff, which is a stench in the nostrils of Almighty God. This stuff is getting worse, not better. And the city which is called by your name, for we do not represent our, our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. God is a merciful God. O eternal hear, O eternal forgive, O eternal listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake and the sake of your city. We're your people. We're the nations of Israel. Don't wipe us out. Please help more people to wake up, we can pray. Please help more people to listen to the program. Please help people to understand. Please help them respond. Help us to reach them and help them and build them and prepare a people for God. We've got to learn to pray like that, brethren, for ourselves, for the city we live in, the nation we live in, the whole society we live in, and ask God to intervene and ask God for mercy. So these are things that we need to learn. So we've got to have that attitude as we pray to ask for mercy and ask God to forgive your sins. As you get down and pray each morning before God, do you literally go down the line? Now, maybe you don't have to every day. I don't every day, but I do many times, and I will literally try to think of the mistakes I've made in the last 24 hours or the last week and how I can do better and not repeat those same mistakes. Say, God, forgive me of this. Forgive me for that. I still have this tendency. I still have this problem I'm working on. And try to help you get over it. Ask God to help you get over it. Forgive me. Help me. Clean me up. Scrub me out. Only you can do this, Father. Tell God that. And ask God for help with all your heart. You're talking to someone who understands. He's a real being, a real personality. And he's your Father and you're made in his image. The fourth key that I would like to give your brethren is to pray uh, uh, continually. And that, of course, is extremely important. We've all got to learn to do that, to pray continually. Back in Luke chapter 18, notice what Jesus Christ himself said in Luke, the gospel of Luke. And let's turn to verse 18, if we can catch it. Uh, verse Chapter 18 and uh, verse 1. Luke 18. Then Christ spoke a parable that men always ought to pray. Men should continually be praying and not to faint. In other words, not give up and quit. Saying there was in a certain city a judge 
who do not fear God and regard man. And he tells about the widow who kept coming and kept coming. And though he said, I do not fear God and regard man, yet because this widow keeps coming to me, I'll hear her. And Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge says. And in other words, how much more will God hear us if we keep coming and keep coming than this unjust judge would hear this widow with her complaint? And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out? He didn't say mumble. Notice, brethren, some of you may think I'm shouting a little bit, but I hope you get the picture. You don't have to shout in your prayers to God, but you can sort of mumble loudly or in your heart have a kind of a shout inside. In other words, it had better be fervent. Whatever you do, do with your might. Don't do it half-heartedly, just kind of a sleepy time prayer and your mind's kind of foggy and you're just tired. As a little boy, when I prayed, I was tired and ready to go to bed and I remember just sort of mumbling along and kind of a warm feeling and then I'd crawl in bed and go to bed, go to sleep because I'd done my duty. I'd said my little, now I lay me down, you know, prayer. And God didn't punish me. He knew I was a little kid. But now I know better. Milk belongs to babes, but meat belongs to those who are of full age. And many of you have been in the church for a long time, and you need to learn to pray more fervently and to put your whole being in your prayer. And so that's the kind of thing Christ describes throughout the Bible, how David prayed and how Christ prayed. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? He may test them and test them and test them. You think, how come God didn't heal me within two days or two weeks or two years somehow? How long did it take God to deliver Joseph? He was sold down in Egypt and he was down there for 13 years. Look it up. For about 13 years before God delivered him. But God did give him a little deliverances along the way. You know, he let him be the the head uh, over the... Uh, household of this local big shot whoever he was and then later on he got to be uh, even more important than another guy and finally he was head of all Egypt but he did have help but he was not completely delivered for a long time I tell you he will avenge them speedily nevertheless when the son of man comes will he really find faith on the earth indicating God would not find faith on this earth when he comes back again Will he really find faith? Very little faith in our society. We're so filled with what man can do with our, you know, pills to wake up and pills to go to sleep and drugs for this and drugs for that. And you punch the button and in in comes Satan's world right into your living room and you see images of violence and sex and every other kind of vanity that Satan has for you in your television. The same thing on the Internet and all the rest of it. Satan has just got us surrounded That's why it's good to go into a private place where there is no television. Take your phone and throw it out the window if you need (laughs) your, your cell phone. Don't have it around and pray to God with all your heart. And don't let anything interrupt you. Don't let anything interrupt you. You could tell your wife if the house is burning down, you might wake me up then. But except for that, why, let me pray. You know what I mean. Put it first. Make it a, make it important uh, thing where you have that total concentration in pouring out your heart to God. So learn to pray continually. And he said, the widow said, or the judge said, this widow I will avenge lest by her continual coming. 
She kept coming and kept coming. And then he tells us to do that. But he also tells us to come, obviously, with our whole heart. And then most of you know I'm not going to turn there, but I'll give you these references. Remember the example of David, a man after God's own heart, in Psalms 55, Psalms 55 and verse 17, David said, Evening, morning, and at noon, I will lift up my hands and pray to God. He prayed three times a day. You read in Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 6 and verse uh, 10, even though he knew it could bring a death sentence, Daniel went in to his private room, opened his windows on the second floor, no doubt, or third or fourth, opened where he was private, opened his windows toward Jerusalem. So undoubtedly opened the windows, could look up at the sky toward Jerusalem, lifted up his hands, said, Great God of the universe, God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, and prayed to God. And these spies somehow broke in on him and found him praying to another God, which was forbidden because of the emperor's decree. And, of course, then they tried to get him killed. And so he had to trust God. And God saved Daniel when it was too late. I think you know what I mean. Sometimes it really seems like it's too late. You're already too sick. You're just about dead already or it's almost too late. It was too late. Daniel was already in the lion's den. You know, he could have thought, well, God will save me now. No, he didn't. Maybe he talked to the king and the king didn't, well, he didn't get help there. Then he could have looked at the skies. They took him through the streets and thought maybe an angel would come and snatch him away. No, he didn't get saved then. Then they picked him up and started to throw him into the lion's den. And he could have thought, well, God will save me right now. There'd be an angel. And then he felt his body going into the lion's den as they shoved him in there, dropped him into it, whatever it was. He may have thought, well, I'm giving my life to God. I don't think he gave up on God, obviously, but he thought it was too late. And then the lions came up and sniffed at him and said, you got B.O. And they turned around and went the other way. God, God simply confused those lions and caused them not to even hurt Daniel at all. And then the emperor, the king, turned around. He was mad at these guys who tricked him into doing this in the first place. And he caused them to be thrown and their whole families into the lion den. Remember back in Daniel 6. And before they even hit the bottom, the lions came, just tore them to pieces. Their little children, their wives, everybody was ripped asunder by those same lions. God did not protect them. He showed those lions were real lions. <laughs> they weren't Hollywood lions. They were real lions. But he protected Daniel and saved him when it looked like it was already too late. So we understand that. And we've got to keep praying and trusting God to the very, very end. Even when it seems like it's too late, it's never too late for God. And understand that. So we need to pray continually to God and not give up and quit ever and learn to pray basically as we can three times a day. Some of you, all of us, if we will, could pray in the morning, which is the best time to pray before anything starts get, get taking up your time. You know, the day gets underway. God shows that again and again. Pray in the morning, then pray around noon or early afternoon if you can. Sir, during the noon hour sometimes at college, I know I would try to go off to my room or the prayer room and, and pray just for even 10 or 12 minutes. And then in the evening, you can pray again before dinner or maybe just before you go to bed, whatever works for you. And some people pray four or five times a day on their knees, and that's fine. But talk to God regularly. But Mr. Arms again, Strong again told some of us that during some trials that came on him, 
over the years. He would sometimes pray 30 to 60 times a day. He would just continually pray to God off and on all through the day and ask God to help with this and help with that and cry out to God. And and in that sense, you want to walk with God to where you're uttering short prayers. When you're driving down the freeway and you're changing from one lane to another, as he said also, uh, Mr. Armstrong, that as he said, think about what you're doing while you're doing it. So if you're running a big, sharp electric saw, why don't get your mind distracted or if you're driving the freeway. But if you're in a place where you can think for a minute or even going up the elevator before you have an important meeting, you can say, Father in heaven, guide my mind. Help me to be your servant. Help me in this situation. Give me love and faith and kindness. Give me wisdom. Guide this meeting or guide me as I teach this class. Guide me as I write this article. Guide me as I talk to this person. Guide You can ask, guide me as I talk to my boss. Guide me as I talk to my employees. Give me your leading, your wisdom, your love. Just five or, you know, not five, but more like 15 to 35 seconds sometimes. That kind of prayer all through the day. But if you're on your knees three times a day beside and more basic fervent prayer, then you will be walking with God and you will be praying continually. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to keep in touch with him to where we have our hand in God's hand all day long. All day long. We never give up. We never stop. All right. Uh, now, the sixth key I want to give you, 6.6, 6, ask according to God's will. Remember, brethren, always pray according to God's will. In the world, sometimes the people don't know what God's will is, so they'll ask silly things. And I know it's not wrong necessarily or a sin, I guess, to ask that some sports team win. But one time God heard my prayer back in junior high. I think I told you that when I prayed that we would win, and we did. But that's not the main thing God wants. If you keep praying about those things and he sees your hearts on that, he might not hear you at all. But your main point is to pray according to God's will things that would help you be like God, help others be like God, achieve God's purpose, achieve God's purpose, pray according to God's will. Back in 1 John 5, turn again toward the end of your Bible here, 1 John, and we'll turn back to chapter 5 now, 1 John 5 and verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, John writes, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, I have never asked God for a gold Cadillac because I don't need a gold Cadillac. I don't want one. And I don't need a, a Gulfstream aircraft or something. If the work gets, you know, 50 times bigger, I, I will not. I better, they say never say never. Maybe we'd get an aircraft sometime as we just had to go around here and there. But we'd better get about 40 or 50 times bigger or our money men will pull their hair out and Mr. Crockett will lose more hair and poor Mr. Ruddleson, he'll really be in trouble because we can't pay the bills. <laughs> so we're not trying to do anything like that. Basically, we try to do what we see we can do and still put most of the money into radio and television and doing the work. So we are to ask according to God's will. What is the best thing for God's plan and purpose, how we can do the work, how we can teach God's way of life, how we can set the right example, and so on. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. So that's very important. If we ask according to his will, and of course that's very, very important. So God wants us to do that, ask according to God's will. Did I say that's point number six? That's point number five, isn't it? I'm off in my numbering here. Sorry about that. I think I'll blame that on the stroke. Is that I, I can blame everything on the stroke. <laughs> I'm kidding. But anyway, that's point number five. Ask according to God's will. Another thing I want to give you on that is Luke. Turn back to Luke chapter 22 and verse 35. Here at the very end of Jesus' life, he was about to be crucified the next day. And coming out. He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, this is, remember, Luke chapter 22 now, verse 39. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. So he went away about a hundred yards over behind some trees and prayed alone. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, If it is your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Again, brethren, we need to come to that attitude of total surrender, of unconditional surrender, not my will, but may your will be done. And if you come to God in that attitude and you really mean it, and whatever you ask, you're trying to ask according to his will within what he has said, He has said that normally he will heal you. Normally he will bless you and give you a good wife or a good husband or a good this or that. If you pray and do your part, you know, and be careful and and use wisdom and all the other things. Normally he'll give you a good job and take care of you, provide your daily bread. You're just trying to ask things within his will and, and ask that way. And you say, Father, you have nevertheless not my will, but your will be done. Perhaps it's the wrong car you're trying to pick out. Perhaps it's the wrong wife or the wrong husband. Perhaps it's the wrong situation you're trying to get into, the wrong job. Some people ask for God's will and in their own carnal way. And then they will move way off up to Nowheresville in northern Wyoming or wherever it is where there's no church of God. Well, I can't say they're sinning. Because this goes out, I don't want to condemn all of you people who live in Nowheresville out there, but it's best. It's best if you're moving somewhere, if you move where there is a church of God. Because God says, you are not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do you see what I mean? You're trying to do things within God's will. And if that's what you're trying to do, and you're willing to be worshiping with others... You're willing to be corrected and taught and instructed and guided by faithful ministers. You should move where there's a church. You'll grow more. You'll be more likely to be in God's kingdom in the first place. You'll be much more likely to have a good position there because you will have learned to work together as a team within God's team and his church, his, his family, his begotten family here on earth. So again, you've got to think what really is God's will. Don't always assume that your first impulse is God's will. God's will is revealed here, and so you might ask your minister, ask your minister, or if you don't like the answer, you could ask more than one minister, not to minister shop, but sometimes you get multitude of counsel if you decide to take a different job or move to a different city or make some big decision in your life. That's important. Find out what God's will is and ask according to his will.
Then point number six, this really is number six now, key number six, ask in faith. Ask in absolute faith, brethren. You all know that, but that's important. And you've got to learn to do that and try with all your heart. Jesus said through the Apostle Paul, I should say back in uh, uh, Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing the word of God. So you've got to drink into this book, the Bible, study it, feed on it. Let God's mind become part of your mind. Let those things become real to you. Then that will help you grow in faith. But you've got to, I'm not going to give you more of a sermon on building faith, but you've got to learn to act on faith and ask according to faith and build faith in every way that you can. Turn back to Mark now. I want to find this uh, scripture reference I have here. And uh, Mark chapter 11 and the gospel of Mark. And Jesus had cursed a fig tree one evening as they went out of town and coming back in, You may remember the account, Mark 11, verse 21. Peter, remembering, said they saw the fig tree dried up by the roots that Jesus had cursed the previous evening. And Peter, remembering, verse 21, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said, have faith in God. They often didn't have faith. He said, why have, can't you have faith? He said again and again when something would happen and he could see they didn't have faith. Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not, does not doubt in his heart but believes that these things he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, But you've also got to ask according to God's will. And normally you would not ask for a whole mountain to be cast into the sea, right? Unless there's a big purpose in it. If there's an absolute purpose, God could easily do that. It's not difficult for God at all. But ask in faith. Whatever things you ask and believe that you receive them, you will have them. So that's very, very important. And you've got to have that attitude of really trusting in God and, and knowing that God has said what he means, he means what he says, he's going to back it up. It might not be right away. It might come in the time, not come in the time you think or the way you think, but eventually it will come if you've asked according to his will and asked in faith. So you need to build that faith and that attitude. Then turn back, if you would, to Hebrews. And uh, let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. And you Bible students undoubtedly know where I'm heading now. This is called the faith chapter. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Here God says, But without faith is it impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, if you're going to come to God in prayer, if you're going to come to God for asks anything, whoever comes to God must believe that he is. You've got somewhere along the pathway of life to prove that there is a real personal creator, God, the great governor of the universe. You've got to come to believe this Bible is the revelation from that God. And give your life to that God, to serve him with all your heart. He is the center of everything. Everything revolves around that. There's nothing as important as that if you want to live forever and even be blessed and protected during the coming tribulation. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
not half-heartedly seek him. You see, constantly God shows we're to do things zealously. We're to do things wholeheartedly. We're to do things diligently. And now to the final point, point seven, brethren, when you pray, and let me say as we start this final point, this is something that Mr. Armstrong said a number of times, and I've said it before myself, but over the years I heard him say it maybe five or seven times. He said, I think one of the greatest weaknesses in the prayers of God's people in our age is that they do not put their hearts in their prayers they have learned these rote prayers, memorized prayers, or they just pray casually, and they don't put the real their whole being in their prayers. And that's something we've got to understand. That's what Mr. Armstrong said. And, of course, one scripture he used on that, Mr. Armstrong used to uh, refer often to the Moffat translation, and the James Moffat translation of the Bible was more of a free-flowing translation. But let's go back here to uh, Hosea. Hosea chapter 7, and he's talking about Israel in verse 11. Hosea 11, Ephraim is a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt, they go to Assyria. Wherever they go, I will spread my net on them and bring them down. I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. Woe unto them because they've turned away from God. Ephraim is often used for Joseph, the whole house of Joseph, meaning America and Britain today in prophecy. Verse 14, they did not cry out to me with their heart and when they wailed upon their beds. Or as the Moffat translation said, they did not put their hearts in their prayers. That's what he translated that. That's where Mr. Armstrong got that. But the same thing is indicated here. They did not cry out to me with their heart. That's why God said modern Israel would not be heard they have all these rituals, as as uh, God tells us back in Second Timothy three. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. They have a form. They have all these churches around here, but God is not real to them. They don't know the true God. Otherwise, they would obey Him. They would keep His commandments, and the crime rate would go way down, and everything would change. But they don't know that God. So put your hearts in your prayers, brethren. God wants us to do that. And perhaps the prime example of that, there are many, many others, but I won't take time except this one example of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ came into this earth to die for our sins. But Jesus Christ came into this earth to set us the example, not just an example, the example. He showed us by his life, by the things he did, the things he taught, the way he lived, the right way of life in every possible way. Here is Jesus' example of how to pray in the human flesh. And I don't mean every one of his prayers was like this, but you see that he had this way of praying and must have had it quite often. He says back here in Hebrews chapter 5, talking about Christ, as he says in another place, I'm sorry, this is in verse 6, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 7, Hebrews 5, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when Jesus was here among us, when he offered up prayer and supplications, prayer and continual prayer and fasting, you see, with vehement cries and tears. I think you know what that means. Vehement, literally bawling before God, saying, Father, help me. I am the only one who can save this world. And Satan is after me and after me and after me. 
And if I turn aside, there's no one else to be the Savior of the world. Please help me. He cried out to God with vehement cries and tears to him that was able to, to hear him because of his godly fear. Yes, you were to have that godly fear, that awe. You're in the presence of the governor of the universe. Your life is in his hands. Your life is like a vapor. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. When my friend Jimmy Malice casket was lowered into the ground back there, as I've told you, when he was killed in this wrestling accident, it changed my life. I began to go out and mutter to myself, what's going on? What's going on? I don't understand. Where is God? What's the meaning of life? And I began to try to find out the meaning of life from then on. And I was just 15 years old. But it helps you to realize how short life is. Jesus cried out to God with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Quite a different flavor from some of the Protestants who said, just believe, just give your heart to the Lord, get sentimental a little bit once in a while. No, he had godly fear. He cried out with his being and he gives eternal life to those who obey him. Yes, you need to believe him. The devils believe and tremble, but you need to obey him. So his example tells us, brethren, that you and I need to get down on our knees every single day of our life there may be days you can't study the Bible. You might say, well, you're a heretic. Do you ever forget to take Bible study? Well, I try to study every day, but there may be an occasional day that I don't study the Bible. Did Paul study the Bible every day? No. He was floating a night and a day in the deep. He was thrown in jail. He wasn't, didn't always have the parchments. He told Timothy, bring the parchments. Maybe he had some, but you know what I mean? They didn't have printed Bibles for hundreds of years. Back in the Old Testament, they didn't have any Bibles at all. <laughs> they simply knew God, and they knew His Word, and they meditated on it, but they didn't get to study the Bible. We have all these Bible translations and helps, and that's wonderful. So do study the Bible. You can't pray the right way unless you do study the Bible, frankly. The more you study the Bible, the more you know the mind of God, and you'll read these scriptures that I'm telling you how to, how to pray. But there may be days you can't study. But I'm just telling you from my experience, there should never be a day. I'm not saying there's never been a day in my life. There have been a few, but very few in the last 61 years. Very few, maybe on the fingers of two hands or less. But very, very seldom should there ever be a day that you do not get down on your knees and lift up your hands and say, Our Father in heaven, guide me, help me, lead me, use me, and talk to God. You've got to have that help. You've got to have that help. You won't make it otherwise. I won't see you in the kingdom if you don't do that. So let's get it to see each other in the kingdom of God. And let's talk to God every day of our lives. And pray with our whole being. Put our hearts in our prayers. And go into a private place where we can do that. Make it a habit. Build a habit. Even as you get down on your knees as you're learning to pray. Some of you are new. Say, Father, I've had to do this, brethren. Father, I don't know how to pray. Please help me to pray. Please help me to talk to you. Help me to get my mind off this stupidity that's coming in my mind even as I'm trying to pray. Ask God's help to help you to pray even while you're praying. But pray. Mr. Armstrong said the church of God moves forward on its knees. 
We're going to do a tremendous work if we keep on going, brethren. But that's the only way we'll do it, through this contact with the great God, the governor of the universe. So let us pray.